When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Big Interview World Cup QA Show Part 2. I'm Martin Gregg, and with me today are Graham Hunter, host of the Big Interview, and our guest for these shows, La Liga TV's Pete Jensen. Questions, as always, from our socios who support this podcast at patreon.com forward slash Game Hunter. Welcome to a few new socios, Neil Dunworth, David Beavers, and Ian Barry. This episode is for you guys. Thank you for signing up. And let's start with questions on Spain from Kelvin Brown, who says. After poor recent performances in World Cups, what does Spain need to do to be less predictable? In my opinion, they need to keep wanting possession, but must carry much more of a threat when they have it. Is a change of system or personnel needed? And Robert Ryan says, they start for the league leaders, but was it too much for Gavi and Pedri? And could Koki have been used at all? So Graham, I'll maybe come to you first. I mean, obviously there, there will be changes now that Luis Enrique stepped down. What do you anticipate in terms of changes of system, changes of personnel under the, the new stewardship? You know, I've got an, an I've met, only met uh, Listo Fuente, the new coach, once. Um, he's an extraordinarily personable and uh, warm man. It, he's the kind of man who, if, if we're brutally honest, you might have thought would not have made it through the shark-infested waters of how do you become national team coach I think it's a slight problem for him that the president chose him as not only the safer man but the guy who would owe most to President Rubiales in that whether there was an overwhelming case for another Asturian another Sporting Hijo man in, in Marcelino or not Marcelino was a good candidate and I think that what we've seen from Rubiales so far is that the he likes coaches who are behoven to him. He, he, he'd much prefer to be seen as the man, not an adjunct to the man who's the who's the coach. And I think he felt that a little bit with Luis Enrique. I don't think they, they fell. I, I watched them a lot during the World Cup. The president was in the Spain team residence, has not stuck away in some five-star hotel. He was at training all the time watching, which you never really saw with Angel Vilar. So this is not an outright um, attack on Rubiales by any means from me, but I think that De La Fuente, um, irrespective of the fun, the, the fact that he won two tournaments as a coach at youth levels and took Spain to the silver medal in the Olympics and therefore you can present his CV, I, I think he's a product of uh, right place, right time. Now, he may well be talented enough to do the right things and if you look back at the players he trusted over his tournaments there's going to be an emphasis placed on... He's a Basque himself who won the title with Athletic Club, but at the moment there's a there's a there's going to be a surge of... Uh, what what, do you, what the hell do you call the blue and whites in Basque, Pete? We call it Churi Urdin. Churi Urdin. In that 
he's a big believer in Oyer Thabal, who would have been not only in the squad, but starting every game once, if fit, for Luis Enrique. But Merino and Zubimendi are, I think, going to become absolutely central. And given the way that they're taught to play at La Real, I think that can be an immensely good thing. We've said goodbye to Sergio Busquets in the last couple of days, who's announced his retirement. And therefore, their inclusion... um, He's also a guy who, at under-21 level, um, resolutely believed in Danny Ceballos. Ceballos, as far as I'm concerned as an individual, is a bit of a git, but he can play. So I think in terms of the easiest part of the answer to the guys... um, we will see an influx of different players and it will be massively important if they can find not just a fit, but a fully confident, happy to finish, as is his nature, Ansu Fati. Because that changes utterly and absolutely the way in which teams not only defend against you, but think about you, plan against you strategically. Either Ansu or somebody of his ilk needs to be the one that says, you know, blink or, or press us or uh, and I'll score. Sit too deep and I'll wriggle past you. Those are individual jigsaw piece answers. But in, in terms of the, the bigger two issues, Kelvin, uh, Roberto, but I, I thought it was blindingly obvious that both Gavi and Pedri in, in the lead up couldn't be expected to be as dominant as as Pedri was for uh, Spain in the Eurocopa, the European Championships, or Gavi has been in in qualification, because they were both close to spent. They were both um, smashed about by what they've been through, by the fact that they are absolute touchstone players, and have been since they've been seventeen and nineteen. Now that they're eighteen and twenty, they are the perfect exemplars of the way in which football has treated its footballers over the last 24 months and uh, both put wholehearted performances into the World Cup and neither of them, even Gavi, who shone more, neither of them were, were actually close to their potential. That will change. They will become a big part of the solution because aside from how well they play, they're daring. Their instinct is to pass the ball forward, to find spaces, to move into spaces, to to use movement, particularly in Gabby's case, although Pedri can go past the man, Gabby's idea is to to get past his man, to beat his man, humiliate his man. They will obviously be part of the solution, but I don't think there's much wrong with the the thing that's echoing around as we record this Spanish football round. Oh, we, we passed the most and... What was it? Rodri's figure is that you know, despite being knocked out in the first knockout round, he passed the ball. I don't know, several hundred times, several thousand times more than anybody else in the tournament. That's not per se a bad thing. It's about what you do with the ball, and part of that is to do with what options are presented in front of you. But part of the fact is that um, some of the Spain players subconsciously have lost their nerve about the risky passes, about what you're doing with possession, what it's for. And and that's the number one thing that needs to change. It's better to be beaten. It's better to have to thrash out. Spain couldn't have coped with that final on Sunday because they need to have a game in which they're controlling. They can't do uh, a Jake LaMotta. 
And they need to be able to do a Jake LaMotta. They need to, in, in certain games, say, we will punch and counter-punch. We will, they, were, they were actually much more like that in the victories over Switzerland, Croatia, and the one they should have won, the draw against Italy, a year ago. So it's not that far away. It will come back. They are in good hands. Time will tell if it's the right hands or not, whether it's Shudu and Marcelino or De La Fuente. But we're talking about, Roberto, um, Kelvin, we're talking about nuances. Yes, um, to both your questions, but it, it is not the time to rip up the, the template. It's a time to update it and, and to to ask for slightly different things based on the concept. Yeah, I'm just <clears throat> picking up on, on what Graham said about Real Sociedad. I thought I thought that was an absolute gift for Luis Enrique and he just pushed it back across the other side of the table. Here's a team that play a, a very similar way to Spain, They're full of Spanish players apart from uh, Kubo and Shawlot, and he just, I mean, he didn't pick a single Real Sociedad player. Uh, I thought there were two big eccentricities in his squad, and I thought they both came back to bite him on the arse. One was something that Graham talked about in the build-up to the tournament, um, not taking a second centre-forward, and, and, and Graham spoke about Borja Iglesias, and, and if Borja Iglesias is not your cup of tea, then you've got Joselu as well. It's not about bringing on the big guy and then suddenly Unai Simon, instead of looking for his defender, starts lumping it down the edge of the pitch and you look for the other end of the pitch and you look for the second ball. It's about giving the team the option of the early cross. And Spain never had that. Um, and, and against Morocco, they, did, they got in behind them a couple of times, not as often as, as they would have liked to have done. But either the ball went across the face of the area and no one was no one was there to get on the end of it, or, or the player on the ball in the wide position just didn't want to cross early because he knew that there was no one attacking the space because they didn't have that sort of player in the team. And, and it was criminal to go to the tournament with eight forwards and only one of them was a centre-forward. And even Morata is, is, is more a Sheringham than a Shearer. Um, so I think to, to always have that option, even if you want to play the way that Spain play, and I completely agree that they shouldn't change the way they play because they're not going to win. They, they, they're certainly not going to improve their chances of winning a tournament by changing the way they play. The philosophy has to stay the same, but you have to have um, alternatives. And, and, and Borja Iglesias should have been in the squad for me and, and, he, and, and he would have been ideal to come on in the second half against Morocco just to give the team... That, that option of the, of the early cross. And the other eccentricity was the shortage in midfield. I mean, bearing in mind that Luis Enrique ended up seeing Rodri as a centre-back and uh, Marcus Llorente as a full-back, the sum total of Spain's reserve midfield was Coque and Carlos Soler. Now, you are never going to get through a whole tournament with Gavi, Pedri and Busquets playing every single game. And the ideal thing would have been to have completely changed the midfield in the third group game against Japan. It was it was wrong not to take Marino. I would have taken Bryce Mendes as well because he also gives you goals. I think Graham's right. Zubi Mendy will come through now, now that Busquets has retired. Um, so so that, those would, 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 would be the two things that I would pick out. But I would completely agree that, you know, you, you can't rip it all up. I mean, it's this is the way Spain play. Um, and getting more out of Pedri... And, and, and getting more out of a, of a properly fit Ansu Fati will, will, will be the way, way forward as, as well as, you know, just making sure you have those, those extra options. And that's a great observation. Spain would have died on their feet in that final. And that has to change. There's a couple of questions which I was going to chuck in later as, as quickfire questions, guys from uh, Twitter, Victor Akpam and Noel O'Reilly, both talking about the timing of the World Cup. Um, was it a success and will we ever see another Winter World Cup? Does any of that relate to the, the physical conditioning of Spain 
um, in relation to their performance in this tournament. In cultural terms, everything's changing so much that, you know, I can't help at my age with my experience where I live and work being Eurocentric. But, you know, it isn't simply a European case. The, the World Cup has always been held in what is the the Northern Hemisphere's um, summer and therefore it, it wasn't changed because there was a logical need or because there was an improvement. It, I don't want it repeated. There is no argument that the dominant leagues of the world in terms of viewing, in terms of quality of footballers in terms of the money that's paid is is in Europe and while having you know the whole season turn the whole football calendar turning its head is is interesting as to when we played it and the build up to Christmas and I'm not averse to it doesn't mean that every single thing that's been enshrined in football since it was created is always right. That's not true. Look at five subs. Look at the fact that, you know, when England won the World Cup in 66, they weren't allowed any subs. The back pass rule to the goalkeeper and now you can't. It, football can be improved. Football can be changed. Football can be updated. But one, the way that this happened was outright wrong. Two, the thing that I care about most is that... Um, in the countries where they might say, well, we'd rather it was played at this time of year, their footballers won't want that because outside Europe, the majority of good footballers dream of coming to Bayern Munich or AC Milan or or Portsmouth or Aberdeen or Barcelona or Real Madrid, PSG, Liverpool, Chelsea, whatever. That's where they want to earn the millions that set, set them and their family and their grandchildren and their grandchildren's grandchildren in terms of... Sorry to get Monty Python there. Um, uh, but... It, to, to to do this to our footballers in Europe has been barbaric, utterly barbaric. They finished the Champions League qualification in the group stage at a time when players are crying out for more time to be fresh. De Bruyne said it best, but Courtois was the same. The players are being squeezed with an inch of their creative and physical lives. And we're, we, we, we've, we, as, as an industry, they've created every possible scientific advantage to, to give you the perma-fit, perma-slim um, player who eats well and sleeps well and does yoga and is mindful and has special cane instead of Frosties and is, is a truth, but it, it is, is only fuel to what we want to see, which is beautiful football. And you don't see beautiful football from footballers who are, are squeezed with an inch of their creative life, who don't get to rest and sleep and spend time with their friends and their families and come back to a pitch and go, bang, there you go, there's beauty. OK, I, I like this question from Socio Tom Lee. No shortage of candidates, and you've spoken at length in this space about both Bono and Emmy Martinez. But if you could take one who'd be the goalkeeper of the tournament, he suggests Netherlands' Andreas Noppert, who's nine feet tall and a great backstory and surely deserves at least a mention. I would give Livakovic from Croatia an honourable mention as well, particularly for his performance against Brazil, goalkeeper of the tournament. Yeah, I mean, you both picked out two good candidates, but there's only one goalkeeper in this tournament. And and if Messi, if Messi's the major reason, the number one reason why Argentina won it, then Emi Martinez is the second reason. He was just extraordinary. Um, and penalty shootouts are now now so important. I think five games, two in the last 16, two of the quarters and the final went to penalties. And it's just such an advantage. Wherever you are in the world listening to this and whoever your team is, 
which goal, which goalkeeper would you want to be in goal for you in a penalty shootout? You know, you'd want um, you'd want Emmy Martinez, and you know it. it it wasn't um, it wasn't um, exemplary sportsmanship from him, but he didn't break any of the rules. Um, he maybe should have been yellow carded um, when he kicks the ball away from Germany in the in the final. Um, reminded me of that. What's that true detective's quote? The world needs bad men. We keep the other bad men from the door. And you sort of sometimes you you need you need the bastard you know to 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 give your your you know your genius captain the the medal that he deserves and that everyone wants him to win, and he was nasty and he was he was horrible in those shootouts. Um, the Dutch gave it back to him and he took it. Um, I wish he hadn't carried it on afterwards. That's the only the only thing I didn't like. I, I think once you do it in competition. And then once the prize is won, then then be a little bit more dignified. And and I didn't, I wasn't a fan of what he did with the with the golden glove. Um, but um, he's the outstanding goalkeeper of the tournament. And we, and I'm talking about the penalty shootouts. But by the way, the Ikakasi is against Arjen Robin save that he makes. You know, I mean, if that doesn't happen, we're not even talking about you know the, the penalty shootout and, and and Messi winning the World Cup. He he was sensational. Um, and 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 the leadership, um, and yeah, I mean he's he's the goalkeeper of the tournament. And actually, I saw that Modric won the bronze, the, the Ballon Bronze, you know, the third best player of the tournament. And that's that's great for Modric, and we all love Modric. But I, I would I would have given it behind him, Messi and Mbappe. I would have given it to to Emi Martinez. Yeah, I, I I can't I can't top that, and I won't try. I I, I still believe that in. Alisson, um, Brazil and Liverpool have just an extraordinary footballer. How you choose... I remember growing up being utterly baffled as to how one would choose between, um, at their peak, Shilton and Clements, although Clements was the far nicer man. Um, I always thought Shilton was the better goalkeeper, but... um, with Ederson and Allison, the, the debates there again, it's like, how the hell do you choose? Probably on personal preference about as a coach, how you get on with one of them so that you feel you can get through to him more easily or trust him more easily. I don't know because they're remarkable. In my opinion, over the last two or three years, although this has been a season with errors, Courtois, for my taste, remains number one. Did he show that this time? No. <laughs> Was Alisson sufficient to keep Brazil in the tournament? No. Uh, Bono's record about being the only one to come through at the quarters since Buffon, having only conceded a goal and uh, an own goal. Very interesting, fascinating, likeable, multi-layered man. But it's Emmy Martinez. And I, I think that when... The reason we got Australia... In the tournament was Andrew Redmayne. He stuck, Andrew Redmayne, the, the, the goalkeeper in, in, the, in the playoff against Peru, just stopped short of you know that old spy gag about here's your instructions and eating them. He took he took the, the notes of the Peru goalkeeper and threw them into the crowd. So the Peru goalkeeper couldn't study the Australian takers, and and that was one of the principal reasons that Australia beat Peru and come through to this. And Emmy Martinez has gone just. Uh, Hold my beer. I'll I'll show you what. And you know he really against against um, Holland. It was it was less pressurized than a final, just per se. But the way in which he 
threw the ball away, stomped in the penalty spot, went up and, and got in their faces. All that kind of stuff meant that in that instance, although it was, if you're Argentinian, you, you just build a statue of him in every home in the country, not in his city. And, you know, if you think about this guy and how he's grown up, the poverty he experienced, what he felt leaving home as a youngster, coming to Britain, playing for a multitude of teams, including Oxford, and now he's a world champion. If you look at the hunger, the naked aggression, it's what we, we it's like flames. We're both attracted and repelled. And he won them the World Cup as almost as much as Messi did. He's he, he, on the pantheon of players that won Argentina in the World Argentina in the World Cup. He's only second to Messi. He becomes therefore the goalkeeper of the tournament. Were there utterly extraordinary saves before that final one, uh, the one-on-one, which again is utterly remarkable, um, and denies uh, Moani. Now, so I don't know if we've answered Tom's question properly, but what you want from World Cups, I think, if you can't get the best players on their absolute ultimate best form, then you want winners, you want characters, you want invention, you want people who have said, this is mine, this is mine and I don't care who you are. And uh, that would be Emiliano Martinez. Big interview guest, by the way, available on the feed. In fact, we reposted that interview with Emiliano two days before the final, I think, so you can get it a couple of episodes below this current one. Anyway, it's time for a break. We'll be back in a moment with a couple more questions to complete part two of this month's World Cup Q&A. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. And we're back with a question from Socio Richard Cosmala. 
Rachel says, sorry to be a Scrooge at this time of year, but how bad was the defending in this World Cup as a whole? It seems to be a dying art. Um, Morocco was probably the best team at doing this and looking how far they went. Was it just a one-off tournament for this, or is this a malaise you see across football? Now, just before you answer that one, guys, I'm going to try and tie this in with a Twitter question from Leroy, who says, does the stunning performance from Morocco alongside the spectacular results from the likes of Japan, Saudi Arabia, Australia and Tunisia point to a real shift in the long-term global imbalance of the game, or is it a mere fleeting glimpse of what could be? So I don't know if I'm being ambitious in trying to tie these two queries together. We're talking about the kind of dying art of defending and maybe the flourishing of lesser teams at this World Cup. Supercars is always intimidating when he asks a question because he, 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 he possibly is one of the few people that goes to more football matches in more countries than we do. But um, I think to, ask, to answer questions about defending, you, you can't do it with a blanket yes, no, better or worse, because what we ask of our defenders is now completely different. And it isn't simply, are the full-backs attackers or are they wing-backs, but now it's, are they wing-backs in a four, not wing-backs in a five? And if not, are we asking them to sort of seesaw and one of them stay in a three, start with a four, one of them stays in a three, and the other one needs to be in midfield a lot. Pep Guardiola's idea that um, full-backs go inside on a, on, a, on, a, on a train track inside the winger who stays out and they become inside forwards or, or extra midfielders inside, not on the line, so that the midfielders can therefore pin different... Effect. The, the, the things that are asked of our defenders, sometimes having to play without a midfield in front of them that they're used to because there were quite often spells when teams played in certainly in spirit, if not the original drawing. A lot of people get fixated by the drawing that a team, a club or a nation sends to FIFA or to UEFA or to the Premier League or to La Liga and, and you get it you know, drawn out in positions because that's handy because it's, it's a basic skeleton. People get hung up on that. There were a lot of teams that played in this World Cup in a 4-2-4. And in my opinion, Supercause, it's it's... It's currently evolving a lot as to what we expect from our footballers. We ask our, our centre defenders over the last decade particularly, although there have always been those who are capable of doing it, Hansen and Beckenbauer and obviously Miller McLeish, to come out and play the ball and, and to come out and, and to beat a man. Things that when I was growing up and you were being taught by PE teachers or parents shouting on the sides or eventually if you play for a club, don't do you never... You never try and play the ball at a defence. You never play the ball across your against your penalty area. That's all changed so much and, and super cause. If we don't take into account that that, that is happening, then we'll be maladjusted in our criticism of how teams defend at the moment, in my opinion. And one of the standout players is 20, 21-year-old Guardiol, who I think will end up at Manchester City. Um who people shouldn't remember because Messi took him on a tango. Uh, I think he should be remembered as having an extraordinary mentality and calm and aggression and leadership at his young age for a team that, you know, came within a whisker of winning the World Cup. So, uh, easy Tiger. I think I could have just said Supercosi, easy Tiger. Yeah, I I think that, although that might be a, 
a, a fair point to make generally. I do think there were a lot of individually brilliant defensive performances. I thought Guardiola's Graham's against Brazil was immense. I thought Walker was fantastic against Mbappe, including that sprint for half of the pitch when, in the end, Mbappe gets the shot or the cross or whatever it is, but he's, it's, a, it's a weak one because Kyle Walker's pursued him right to the byline. Um, Conati was excellent in the semi-final. Um, and I thought, I, I thought the Argentina defenders defended well pretty much throughout the tournament. And they seem to have this unwritten rule that if there's a choice between holding your position um, and flying in, you always fly in. And, um, and, and the one time it didn't happen was, was France's second goal in the final when Molina hesitates and he holds his position and Mbappé plays the one-two and it's too late. It's, it's the, that's the second goal. So I thought um, Romero and Otamendi and, and Martinez when he played. So I thought they were, they were outstanding defensive performances if, if, if not the overall standard of defending in the tournament as, as being perhaps as good as it, as it has been in other tournaments. Like, although he doesn't now take, take any positions away from Alisson or Livakovic or Coutoir or the ultimate enemy but Jory's made some fucking saves the save I'm sure it's against England where it's there's a shot that's partially Jory's and partly off the post I'm sure that's England or is it semi-final but he saved down to his right he had a couple of saves from Messi stand out you know I, I just feel Ill, I would have felt illegitimate not mentioning him Here's a nice one to finish on. Finlay McDonald, who will be the Oleg Selenko signing in January, bought for their epic performance at a World Cup and not able to live up to their tournament hype. So just for our younger listeners, Oleg, Oleg Selenko was a Golden Boot winner in 1994 and went on to have perhaps a slightly less than stellar career. I think Finlay might be smarting from his appearance at Rangers in 1995-96. Um, but yeah, who will be the new... Oleg Selenko. Pete, do you want to start on this one? There's going to be a hell of a rush to, to get into the Morocco players. I, I don't know where Monchi is at the moment, but he should be in Morocco. Or at least he should be in Morocco if that's where Unai is and that's where Amrabat is. I mean, if you're asking which player would you sign on the basis of what you've just seen, then certainly for clubs that don't have a, a holding midfield player and, and Sevilla, t- talking about Spain, Sevilla don't, Atletico Madrid don't really... As it happens, Barcelona need a new one, although Catalan journalists here seem to be pretty convinced it's going to be Kante, thank you. Um, it, it has to be Amrabat. He was absolutely sensational throughout the whole tor- tournament. I've seen various teams of the tournament and he's and with, with diff- various differences, but he's in pretty much all of them. And you're not buying someone just on the base of the World Cup because he's done a hard apprenticeship. You know, He's done it in Holland, Belgium... Italy, um, and you know, I'm not sure how severe a fix for being able to compete financially with Fiorentina, but if they can, then then they should. And signing his teammate would represent maybe a little bit. This this fits the question maybe a little bit more. You are buying someone perhaps a little bit more on the basis of, of just the tournament. Um, Unai was was sensational. I think he ran. 14k against Spain. Um, he does similar things in League One. Angers, is it? That's not the right way to pronounce it, is it? So, so that that represents a little bit more of a gamble. But, but, but based on his performances, he's not just a runner. I mean, his passing was excellent throughout the tournament. He was a joy to watch. So I would go. They would be my go-to players in terms of you know. Not, I'm not sure we use the word bargain because I'm, I'm sure they'll both be be only available now for big bucks after their brilliant performances but yeah Amrabat and Unai maybe Turam um, I, I, I've watched quite a lot of Turam and 
it, it's patent that there's some inherited Elan um, from his father, and he's you know a strong item. He, he's still quick, and he's now author of one of the great wall passes, as Pete pointed out in in World Cup history, and he's got fingerprints on one of the great goals in in World Cup history and in a World Cup final. But um, I'm not convinced. And before this tournament, I wasn't convinced that he's the absolute top level. He, he helped in the development of uh, of Vinicius because it was Turam's ridiculous performance for Borussia Mönchengladbach that had rummaged on on the on the ropes in Germany that night when Benzema said to. Um, Mondi, uh, don't pass to him, he's playing for the opposition. And in the end, Madrid got a 2 2 out of that. And it's possible that there'll be a clamour for Turam now. And it's possible that he, he does a very serviceable job for whichever higher level team than Richard Gladbach he would go to. But I'm not thoroughly convinced yet that he's elite. And therefore, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jink past you, Finlay, on, on this one. Um, which is easy because you've got the turning circle of a boat. Um, that's a private joke for me and Finlay. And Sarah, I, I was in Denmark in the Zvida Hus when um, Walter snuck off uh, from the Danish pre-season tour where Gascoigne was been introduced and he was joining Andy Gorham and Goff and Laudrup and played table tennis with Gaza and, and lost because it's like when he played, I was going to say when he plays, when he played then it was like you playing an octopus with a bat in each tentacle. It was just unbelievable. Same for Gorham. But um, one day on the tour, Walter disappeared and Archie swore to us, uh, Archie Knox swore to us at Rangers, oh, he's, he's, gone to, he's gone to Finn Loudrup, Brian and Michael's dad. Finn Loudrup's 80th, 75th birthday party. And blah, we were like, really? And of course, he'd snuck off to sign uh, Salenko. And he did so. I had one of the first interviews with Selenko sitting in the main stand. I don't know why we did it outdoors at Ibrox. And he was covered in jewellery. Honestly, it was... I think the only thing that ruined his career is that he strained his wrist and his fingers with all the gold and diamonds that he wore on his fingers. And we had a very odd interview via a, a translator. And I, I didn't think he was a wrong one there and then. But I did think, this is a guy who thinks he's in Glasgow on holiday and... and one half of the old firm, either half of the old firm is not the place to come on holiday. And as we're speaking, we're building up to me going to watch Aberdeen beating Rangers tonight. So I hope Oleg Selenko is playing, in fact, in goals um, for Mick Beale's team. And thanks for mentioning him, Finlay, and, and also thanks for being there. And given that Martin's about to wrap up now, I'm going to say, some, I'm going to say something that, that must be left in. And I want people who've contributed Twitter or socio questions to recognise We've been in the company. Martin Gregg, Neil White, thank you both for everything you've done this year and a difficult year. Thank you for the socios, for the people who follow us on Twitter, who talk to us, who share opinions, ask us questions. But I'm going to close this year, this this part of the season, by saying, in Pete Jensen, we have been listening to, as they used to say at the end of the Dad's Army uh, credits, um, one of the great... Um, European broadcasters, whether it be radio, television, or in this medium, just somebody of monumental ability and wit and vision and experience, and it's a goddamn privilege. And Martin, I'm going to hand back to you because we've we've done all we said we would do. Let me just say that um, on behalf of all the Sotheos, 
one of the best things about the World Cup was listening to um, Graham Alistair Cook Hunter giving us his letters from Qatar. Uh, one of the most enjoyable things about the tournament. Letters from Qatar were beautiful. Pete Jensen's been beautiful. And that's it for the second part of this month's World Cup Q&A. Thanks to everyone who sent questions for this month's show. Graham and Pete Jensen, thank you. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back with more big interviews in 2023. Have a great Christmas, everyone, and a happy new year. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.